Back in 1908, Kansas City biscuit businessman Jacob Luce was locked into a bitter rivalry with Nabisco when he had this idea for a chocolate sandwich cookie, unlike anything on the market. The Hydrox had this like really elaborate laurel wreath and this really elaborate font. It was like a very baroque sort of cookie. How Kansas City created the original Oreo. That's on the podcast, A People's History of Kansas City. Up to date wants to know what you're talking about with family and friends. You can text UTD to 816-601-4777 to tell us. Again, 816-601-4777. This is Up to Date on KCUR 89.3. In an event organized with the International Relations Council, a group of journalists, poets, and authors originally from the USSR will speak this week at Union Station. The Friday event is called Voice Over War, readings by authors from Ukraine, Belarus, Russia, and Moldova, and it will showcase writers as they speak on what's happening in their homeland. Joining me now to talk about this is Sasha Vasilyuk. She's an author and journalist who's coming to Kansas City from the West Coast for this event on Friday. Sasha, welcome to Up to Date. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Steve. What should attendees expect if they head out to this event on Friday evening? So we're going to have eight novelists, poets, and journalists who are going to read uh, their various work that has to do with either the war that's going on in Ukraine directly um, or with other conflicts um, in the USSR. So we have people that are coming, um, that are all work in the US and write in English. However, they were born in either Ukraine, Belarus, Russia, or Moldova hmm. and live in various parts of the country. Um, so there's going to be readings by eight of us um, and they're going to, the topics are really going to vary a lot. How did all this come together, Sasha? So uh, there's one writer named Luisa Moradian who does live in Kansas City, but the rest of us do not. We live in various parts of the country, and we are all flying in for a big writer conference that has nothing to do with the war in Ukraine or USSR. Uh, but because we all happen to be in the same place, which is quite rare, we decided to do, to do an event together um, and do a reading and really bring bring our thoughts on this war and our very um, confusing, struggling homelands to Kansas City. Um, we have done various events like this in over the past two years in other cities in hmm. San Francisco, L.A., New York. Um, so we thought Kansas City deserves uh, an appearance like this. Who's participating? Give us a sense of some of the eight women who are taking part here. Absolutely. I am so excited to meet a couple of them because I haven't met all of them yet. Hmm. But um, so as I mentioned, Luisa Muradian, she is uh, a poet who teaches and lives in Kansas City. She's from Odessa, Ukraine, um, and her poetry focuses on her immigrant experience. And she has new work um, that's written directly in response to the war. And there will be two other poets as well, a Belarusian poet named Lena Zichinsky, who writes from the perspective of a Belarusian in exile. Hmm. Um, she's written about protests in Belarus that were happening in 2020 against the um, autocratic government there. And another poet named Julia Kolchinsky-Dasbach. She writes poems about her Jewish refugee immigrant experience. Um, she's also from Ukraine. 
and um, she'll she'll told me that she will read poems about parenting and you're a diverse child under the shadow of the war. Hmm. So that's our poetry section. Um, and then we have a couple of novelists and and essayists and, and journalists. Um, so Katya Apyokina, she's flying from LA mm-hmm. and she's a Russian Jewish writer and has a book that is um, coming out in March, actually. So we're very excited. I've read it. It's great. Uh, it's called Mother Doll. And she will read a piece from it about uh, Russian Revolution and intergenerational trauma it caused. Hmm. Uh, there will be a great essay by a writer named Vlada Tepper. She's from Moldova originally. She's Jewish. Um, and she, the essay is about working with the International Teens and Peace Club during the early years of the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, and then there's two novelists. Marie Kuznetsova, uh, she has two novels out already. She's from Kiev originally. Um, and then another novelist named Kristina Gorcheva Newbury. She is Russian-Armenian, that's her background. She has a novel called The Orchard that came out, I think, uh, two years ago in 2022, actually, uh, soon after the war began. Um, and that novel is about, uh, takes place in the 80s, a Soviet Union is falling apart. Hmm. Um while Maria Kuznetsova's story that she'll read is speculative, um, and it's going to feature intergenerational trauma, which seems a bit of a theme, and a time machine. So I'm very excited mm. to hear that one. Um, that's our lineup. Oh, and I guess I should maybe mention what I'll be reading. Um, so I am a journalist, but I also have a novel coming out uh, called Your Presence is Mandatory. I decided I'm not going to read from the novel, even though I'm excited for everybody to know about it. But I'm going to read an essay about um, wanting to bring my kid to Russia and Ukraine, where I have family, Mm -hmm. uh, where I actually used to have family before the war. I was planning a trip to take my four-year-old son um, to Russia and Ukraine to meet his cousins and and aunts and stuff uh, right before the war began. And then, of course, I had to cancel that trip. Mm. Um, But I did not tell him that there was a war going on. Um, or explain why the trip was canceled for a very, very long time. And so in the essay, I explore the feelings of fear I have about going to Ukraine and the feelings of shame I have about going to Russia. What do you hope people get out of this evening? I hope that people will get a perspective they don't normally get from newspaper coverage. Um, We've all been very exposed to this war. However, um, literature does other things um, than journalism, right? We don't really get very kind of, we don't go deep in terms of feelings um, and right. internalizing and what what a war does over years, even to people who are not directly there suffering from it. Um, this has been a very divisive war for Russians and Ukrainians and Belarusians. Um, but here in the diaspora in the US, we hope to show a sense of unity um, about we all feel that our homeland is struggling. Um, we really don't. We we want to bring a sense that we're all together trying to do the best we can to bring peace. Um, Why do you think it's so important for authors from the Russian and Ukrainian diaspora to unite, come together and talk about what's happening in that part of the world? We living here 
can't do very much. We can send money. We can call our relatives back there. Um, but we have words <laughs> that we can wield. Um, and this is our form of resistance, resistance to propaganda, for example, from Russia and Belarus, and a form of bearing witness to this current tragedy um, in the way also to translate this war and the previous kind of tur turbulent times um, in history to the American audiences. Hmm. You know, shortly um, you grew up in both Russia and Ukraine before moving to San Francisco at age 13. Talk about growing up in that part of the world, Sasha, and what that experience was like for you. Yeah, so I um, I spent half of my childhood in Ukraine, in Crimea, and then the second half in Moscow. Uh, and I moved to San Francisco when I was 13. Hmm. San Francisco to me after Moscow seemed like a village. Uh, it was very small <laughs> after a, a city of uh, however many million it was at the time. This was also the 90s, so my family was leaving very turbulent times. Um, my dad uh, was kidnapped briefly mm. uh, shortly before we moved, and several adults, um, friends of my parents, were hurt in various ways. So we were leaving quite quite turbulent times. And San Francisco is, if if any any of you have been, it's it's quiet. It's a quiet city, kind of on the edge of the earth. That's mm -hmm. how I think of it. Um, the flights back home were very long. I used to visit um, every year, both Russia and Ukraine. Um, because I family in both, as I said, and and it always struck me, the contrast always struck me, both in the the way people lived, but also in the way people thought, um, in how apolitical people were in in Russia specifically, less so in Ukraine. People were more political in Ukraine and still are, obviously, um, and kind of the individualistic sense that Americans have um, always contrasted to me whenever I went back hmm. with with this feeling of like, we're all just one people living under some guy who rules us and can't do that much about it. We'll be right back. Shortly after the war broke out back in February of 2022, you wrote some editorials for publications like the New York Times, the L.A. Times, and NBC, where you talked about how the war had forced you to confront your Russian identity. What did you mean by that? Tell us a little more about what you were struggling with at the time and what you wrote about. I've always identified myself as Russian, Russian-American, um, as many of us did, even if we weren't from Russia. Uh, it was kind of a common common name that many of us used and that others, Americans, used toward us. It was just easier not to explain sort of the various smaller homelands that we were truly from. Um, I was very attached to my Russian identity, primarily because as a writer, Russian is my na native language, even though I was born in Ukraine. I don't speak Ukrainian to this day. Um, and so I, I was really attached to the identity. Um, and remained that way, even when my family in the Donbass, which is the eastern part of Ukraine, um, started, uh, their their town became kind of the center of the war zone back in 2014. Mm -hmm. Even though I, I, I knew that Russia was causing this, I still couldn't kind of disattach myself from that Russian identity. With When this war began and, and the atrocities that came with it, me 
and also many of us um, really struggled with what to do with this way we thought of ourselves as as mm -hmm. these Russian Americans. Um, is it a linguistic? You know, are we attached to the language? Are we attached to the passports that we may still have? Um, is it like what is it exactly about our homeland that still means something to us? Well, given was that there the a feeling homeland of, is now feeling of shame, Sasha, embarrassment? What what were you struggling? Absolutely, with? all of that. Absolutely, absolutely, mm -hmm. shame is is a strong, um, it's a strong, very very powerful emotion that mm -hmm. I feel always, which is why, um, as I told you earlier, I couldn't bring myself to tell my son that the people whose language I'm teaching are now attacking um, his his other relatives and all these other people in, in the country next door. Um, shame is something that many people who left Russia, including my brother, for example, are struggling with and don't really know what to do with because we can't, can't fix it. We can't force Putin to stop this war, um, especially from abroad. We can say words, we can write articles, right? But we can't dethrone him in any way and stop this war. And so we're just kind of left sitting with this feeling of um, shame for causing pain to others. Hmm. Talk about the relationship between the current conflict and and also Soviet suppression of truth. How are those things linked? How are they intertwined? So I feel like authoritarian states generally, and Soviet Union specifically, really thrives when history gets distorted, um, and that all that usually happens through a mix of propaganda and um, secrecy and silencing. In um, the case of Soviet Union, I feel like almost every family, almost everyone I've ever met and talked to about this, have had some sort of secret that their typically their grandparents, um, who are the World War II generation, have kept from them mm -hmm. because they were at first scared um, to tell them what really happened to them, either during the war or during the famine or during Stalin's repression. You know, there's a gamut. Um, they were too ashamed or too scared to tell their family. And that meant that all the, the only truth that we had um, as people were, was coming from textbooks, um, right? So, and textbooks are controlled by the government, um, in at least in Russia. So, we do not really know our own history. Um, what that causes is that is that we feel one way. We feel like we are this good, big empire who never did anybody any wrong, but in reality, we did many wrongs to others and also to each other. Not knowing this creates a very false sense of yourself as a nation. Um, and so when all of a sudden uh, your ruler starts a war against uh, another nation next door, you you have a confused sense um, of, of yourself. You think you're defending yourself uh, mm. or you, you're, you're in the right. Um, because you've never been in the wrong. You don't know that your country has been in the wrong many times. Did you expect this conflict to ultimately occur? Was this always something on your radar, or were you surprised when it escalated to this extent? Listen, I'm not a political analyst, right? I'm not, Even the president of Ukraine didn't seem to expect it fully. Um, my family has been living with this war since 2014. I've mm -hmm. seen what it does. I've visited there. 
And I didn't expect it to end, I guess. I didn't expect it to escalate, but I also didn't really expect it to end. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think my family um, there in Ukraine expects it to end now, unfortunately, mm. um, because it's been 10 years and they've gotten used to it and they don't really see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, most Americans think of this war as beginning a lot more recent, uh, more recently than what you're outlining here. Why do you suggest uh, 2014? 2014 is um, when there was a revolution of dignity in mm -hmm. Kiev and when Russia took, uh, stole Crimea from Ukraine, after which uh, a war broke out in the Donbass. It was covered at the time uh, for a while. And then when in 2014, there was a Syrian refugee crisis. It sort of disappeared from the headlines, but it went on. Um, I was there in 2016, so two years afterward. And what I saw was a city previous of a million people, which was completely emptied out. There was martial law. Um, there were only older people on the streets, older women. Uh, there was poverty. The words bomb shelter was written on every single building. There were soldiers everywhere. The only way to get there was through Russia, which I was able to do. Um, there was no, there was no, there were no foreign journalists uh, there at all because it was, um, you know, access was limited. So there was no coverage of the war, but it went on. It, 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 there were ebbs and flows of it. Uh, it went, there were quieter months and louder months, but it never stopped. There was the Ukrainian army trying to force uh, a separatist Russia-backed regime out, um, and they, they were never able to. Hmm. So the war became, it was part of the Ukrainian presidential agenda to end this war. Um, but internationally, the tension completely disappeared. And I believe that if we had done something as in the international community back then, we wouldn't be facing this war now. Before I let you go, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you have your first novel coming out in April based on your family, dating back to World War II through the current Russia-Ukraine conflict. Just give us a quick uh, thumbnail of it. Yes, uh, this novel is based on a real story of my grandfather, who was a World War II veteran, hmm. who never talked about the war. But when he passed away in 2007, we found a letter he'd written to the KGB confessing what really happened to him during the war. So I wrote about what happened to him during the war, which was very different from what we thought. Mm -hmm. um, we thought of him as a hero, and that's not exactly the story. He was more of a survivor. And also the the secrecy and the silence of keeping something about yourself from everyone you love for seven decades. Mm. Um, wow. I, I also wanted to mention, um, before you let me go, about uh, the fundraiser. So this, this event we're going to read, it is free to attend. However, we're really hoping to raise some money for an organization called Young People's Poems Against Missiles. It's a nonprofit youth poetry studio in Odessa, Ukraine. Uh, it's founded by a pretty famous Ukrainian-born American poet named Ilya Kaminsky. And they are helping young people kind of articulate themselves when they are alone, when they're in bomb shelters, and when there's nothing else. And poetry really helps. So we hope people come and, and help us gather some money for them.
Well, that event again Friday evening at 6 at the Union Station Boardroom. The event is titled Voice Over War, Readings by Authors from Ukraine, Moldova, Russia, and Belarus. That's author and journalist Sasha Vasilyak. And uh, so glad you took some time to be with us, Sasha. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Steve. Up to Date is a production of KCUR 89.3. The program is produced by Zach Wilson, Elizabeth Ruiz, Claudia Brancart, and Hallie Jackson. Our intern is Lauren Texter. Paul Nakatura works our board. The theme music was composed by the great Bobby Watson. I'm Steve Kraske. Thanks for listening. <laughs>